Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Shahidi, and this is the Evoke 20-Minute Market Outlook podcast, where we share our thoughts about the current economic and market environment. Thank you for joining us today, and please feel free to visit our website at evokeadvisors.com for a PDF version of our quarterly outlook and to learn more about our firm. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Alex Shahidi, co-CIO at Evoke Advisors. Joining me today is Damien Basserier, the other co-CIO, and Michael Marco, a senior vice president in our research group. Uh, this is our first Market Outlook podcast, and we plan to do this once per quarter going forward, and we'd like to keep it to 20 minutes, which we feel is long enough to share our insights and short enough for our listeners. Today, we're going to begin with a recap of our key observations about last year's unique market environment, and then we'll transition into what we see ahead. Let's get started. Uh, so, so Damien, let me, let me kick it off to you. Would you just give us a, a recap of all that happened last year? This has been a very unusual time. Uh, I think it's helpful when thinking about what happened last year to take a step back and describe how we arrived at this point. There are a lot of macro influences this year that most of us have never experienced in our trading careers. And so it's important to understand what drove that. Coming into um, the pandemic, uh, we had had basically a decade of easy monetary policy, dealing with the hangover from the global financial crisis. Interest rates were very low. Uh, there had been quantitative easing for an extended period of time all around the world. Uh, in many bond markets, sovereign bond markets, Europe, Japan, US, you had negative interest rates. Uh, and then you had the pandemic, which caused this sudden drop in growth, a very dramatic response from central banks around the world to counteract that. And you basically took what had already been pretty extraordinary stimulus and turbocharged it with print and spend policies, where the government beyond just doing uh, the, the traditional playbook of lowering interest rates and uh, doing quantitative easing, also literally injected trillions of dollars into the economy, into people's hands, sent checks uh, all around the world to, to Americans and other countries did the same. And that money was very directly spent by the population. And so I, very unusually, you had a massive recession and and households came out of that recession wealthier than they were prior to, to the COVID pandemic. At the same time, you had the economy suddenly turn back on in a very dramatic fashion. So you had this very, very robust recovery, unusually robust, and it caused uh, this, this a surge in demand, which was really unprecedented because suddenly people had all this cash to spend. The pandemic also, on the other side, created a lot of supply chain disruptions, so it became harder to produce goods. Labor was constrained. Many people weren't working. Um, you had uh, things that were exogenous later on, like a war in, uh, in Ukraine that further put uh, constraints on supply of commodities. And so you had this surge in demand meeting all of these supply constraints that were unique to the pandemic and, and some of these other factors that created this, uh, this inflation that we're now experiencing. And this inflation has been jarring. It is the the highest rate of inflation we've seen in over 40 years. And uh, and that has really set the table for what we experienced last year. Okay. That brings us to the beginning of 2022. Let's discuss what happened next. As we entered this year, we had 7% inflation rates and, and that inflation was, was climbing and not just in the US, but around the world, you were seeing increasing inflation and pressures. 
And so central banks uh, tried to catch up. And what was interesting is that the market discounting was not at all prepared for that. So coming into the year, we had about 70 basis points of tightening expected. Ultimately, we've experienced um, almost 5% of tightening in, in a year. So this, this tightening, um, uh, both the magnitude and the speed of the tightening is, is somewhat unprecedented. In 100 years, we've never seen this magnitude of tightening over nine months, uh, 425 basis points. And that was a very dramatic response to a very dramatic inflation outcome that we're now living with. Uh, inflation has moderated more recently, but generally has been much, much higher than any of us have been used to over recent decades. And that tightening was really what drove market outcomes last year. It was pretty much the only story the market was focused on last year. And as you would imagine that if you take cash rates from zero to nearly 5%, Assets have to reprice to remain competitive. And so you saw nearly every asset class fall dramatically last year. There was nowhere to hide. The bond market had its worst year on record, down uh, 13% for the, for the Barclays Ag. Uh, stock market was down, depending on what geography you're looking at, nearly 20% or more if you're looking at things like NASDAQ. Um, there wasn't really anywhere to hide last year. And that is to be expected when you take cash from zero to five. And that tightening and expectations around tightening were really the, the main factor that drove asset class performance. And the really interesting aspect of that is that tightening is a factor that influences every asset and the way it behaves. And so it is the one thing that can cause everything to move together. So when you get a very tight liquidity environment like we've had this last year, that is an environment where there really isn't much diversification. So everything essentially moved together. Everything has that same negative sensitivity to a, a, an unexpected tightening. And so everything fell together. And you've basically experienced through the course of the year, no matter what economic surprise happened, it was always seen through the lens of what is the Fed going to do as a result of that? So somewhat counterintuitively, good news meant the Fed had to be relatively tighter and so good news from an economic perspective often meant things would sell off because of an expectation the Fed would be tighter. Similarly, as we move through the year, bad news ended up being good news for markets because the Fed could be easier. And so it really created somewhat of a counterintuitive relationship for many of us uh, because tightening became the thing. Damien, we always strive to be students of market history. Uh, I think it would be helpful to just provide some historical context for uh, what seemed like a relatively unique environment uh, last year. The 80s, the period that Volcker came in and raised interest rates aggressively in order to break the back of inflation, looks very similar in a lot of ways to what we lived through last year. And we have shared in some of our communications with clients that uh, that same kind of experience in the in the 80 to 82 period where assets underperformed cash in a fairly dramatic fashion. Everything fell together. Things were a lot more correlated. And again, it coincided with this very aggressive, unexpected tightening. So it's we have seen these things before in the past. It's just we haven't seen them anytime recently. And, um, and so it's, I, it, it is instructive to study those periods and understand how things are likely to unfold from there. So I guess a quick summary is the big surprise last year was cash going from zero heading towards 5% or so. Uh, very quickly and unexpectedly. Um, so, and that has caused all assets which compete with cash, all risky assets compete with cash. It, it caused all of them to go down for the most part, uh, unlike anything we've seen in many, many decades. Um, but, but it's not all bad news. Um, maybe spend a second talking about what's what's the good news that came out of you know interest rates rising that rapidly. 
Yeah, the the silver lining to the pain we experienced last year is we've gone through this adjustment where assets are now offering much higher forward-looking returns. You see that most obviously in bonds. A core bond manager at the beginning of last year was maybe yielding two, and now that core bond, core bond manager is yielding five or 6%. Uh, and the same would go for equities or other assets. Essentially, what you had is a period where yields have risen. The forward-looking yields on any asset have risen to remain competitive with cash because no one would invest in anything if they can't outperform cash. And so if cash is giving you five, other things are now going to have to give you more than that. And so that is a dramatically different world than the one we've been in. I, I mentioned earlier, there was a tremendous amount of sovereign debt around the world that was negative yielding. You actually paid governments to hold cash for you. And that is all essentially gone today. We are now in a world where things generate positive yields and those yields are climbing. And so while the adjustment is painful, the forward-looking picture is a lot more attractive. So let's transition to what we see happening next. You had a historic tightening, rapidly rising rates, inflation still high. Uh, what, uh, what can you share in terms of insights about what maybe the, the year ahead looks like and beyond? Well, the central banks are trying to reduce the inflation pressure and bring it back down to their targets, which in the US is closer to a 2% inflation target. The, they cannot influence the supply side. So if you think about what it causes inflation, you have excess demand versus supply. They can influence the supply side, but they can certainly influence the demand side. So they are very clearly trying to raise interest rates to slow down the economy and bring demand back in line with supply such that you don't have such high inflation. So that's the um, that's what they're trying to do. They, in order to execute that, they have raised rates faster than any other central bank has. I'm talking about the Federal Reserve in history, and so that will have an effect on the economy. We're not sure what the effect is going to be yet, but we do believe that we're getting closer to the end of that tightening cycle, and we're transitioning from a period where tightening is the thing that moves markets, meaning people trying to guess at what the Fed is going to do and therefore uh, you know, uh, having that translate to a, an economic, a market outcome to a period where the flow through of all that tightening is going to be what drives markets. So you're going to have a flow through into what we think is likely to be a slower economy uh, as higher interest rates bite. And you can think the various ways that, that that will happen. So for instance, the housing market is one obvious place where higher interest rates causes less spending and therefore less demand because it's more expensive to borrow against your home and do home improvements or to monetize the equity in your home because you got to buy another home with high mortgage rates. So you're less likely to do that. And so there's just less cash to spend. The same would go for the tech sector, which was a source of a lot of spending. You think about all the crypto ads in the, in the Super Bowl. That was a lot of spending that went into, you know, went to Google and Facebook and went to the advertisers and then circulated in the economy. That's not circulating anymore. That cash doesn't exist. And so a lot of that frothiness is gone. And we think it will continually, you know, continue to flow through to various sectors in the economy, not just tech and housing. And that's likely to lead to a drop in spending, which, which means a slower economy and likely falling inflation pressures, which we've seen more recently. Michael, let me turn to you now. Zooming out, how should we think about performance last year in the context of what we've experienced for the last decade or so? And you've been in this secular period of, you know, as Damien put it, benign inflation and strong growth. And equities have done very well, bonds have done very well. 
And growth equities in the past decade, and particularly in the pandemic, have done extraordinarily well. And you saw a lot of that begin to reverse and very quickly last year, where value outperformed growth by something like 25%, a very big outperformance after a long period of underperformance from value. You had energy stocks and commodities, commodity futures doing really quite well on the year, both ending up around 15, 16% on the year after many years of negative returns. And so there is this kind of big question of, are we entering a different world where the next decade is going to look potentially pretty different from the most recent decade? Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point because it has implications for the type of assets you'd want to hold. Most investors are still highly concentrated in equities and equity-like things. And equities do best if we have a good growth environment and a benign inflation environment. We think, given the pressures we've talked about, that there is a uh, chance that we are going to experience a pretty significant recession here. So a weaker growth environment than what we have been experiencing as a function of that tightening. And we also think that it's going to become increasingly hard for central banks to thread the needle and get inflation back down to their desired targets without crushing the economy. So it has been a relatively easy job for central banks thus far because the economy's held up despite the tightening. So they can continually, with low unemployment, they can continually raise interest rates and the economy has been pretty resilient. At some point here, you're going to see the economy start to weaken and it could weaken pretty dramatically. It's going to be a much harder decision if inflation stays elevated to continue to flight inflation in the face of a weakening economy. And so you could get a situation where the economy is weak and inflation stays elevated relative to the desired targets. And that is generally an environment like the 70s, weaker growth, higher inflation, that is challenging for uh, traditional stocks. So we think being diversified in this environment is critical. And a lot of the things, a lot of those diversifiers that maybe weren't as helpful last year because you had the tightening be the, the main driver, may be actually very helpful this coming year, things that can help you in a weaker growth environment or a higher inflation environment. Yeah, I think it's also worth looking and thinking about the equity pricing. The growth expectations that are embedded in the new pricing for equities are still very optimistic. And so when you think about the kind of flow through that one might expect from the most aggressive tightening in four decades, it's hard to reconcile that with um, an optimistic earnings picture. And, and, and one of the one of the headlines that we commonly see is this notion of an inverted yield, yield curve, where short term rates are higher than long term rates, and you know investors have been trained over the years. Whenever you see an inverted yield curve, that means a bad recession is coming. Um, so it is interesting to try to reconcile that with what you just described as far as relatively op optimistic pricing for equities. It's a really good point, Alex. I mean, the the bond market is now pricing significant easing this year. Um, so you know, the, expecting that the Fed is not only going to stop hiking, but is going to very quickly reverse course in a matter of months, um, and. It seems like they will only do that if the growth picture deteriorates to the point that they have to. Right. So it seems somewhat inconsistent, the pricing in the equity and the bond markets. Uh, so um, in our view, it just means that it's, it's critically important to be diversified, that there's such a wide range of outcomes in this environment. 
with the kind of macro influences we're talking about, that the cost of being wrong is higher than normal. And the cost of being concentrated in the wrong asset class is higher than normal. Yeah. I think the other way to think about it is, is shifts in growth and inflation are main in, the main influences on asset class returns over time. And if you look back over the last 40 plus years, inflation was relatively low and stable. And it's really growth that has been volatile. Going forward, it's, it's very possible that we are going to live through an environment where both growth and inflation are volatile. And they're both impacted by secular trends and, and cyclical trends, which makes it even more difficult to predict what the next environment looks like because you can't just hold one variable constant like we've been able to do for the last couple of decades, uh, which raises the, the risk that you're going to be wrong and wrong in a big way. Uh, which I think is is another way of describing what you just said, Damien. In terms of being more diversified, uh, I think it would be helpful just to spend a second talking about exactly what that entails. We would, in, you know, as investors, be really focused on building a portfolio that could be resilient to economic surprises relative to what's currently priced in. We think it's very unlikely you're going to get this Goldilocks scenario of 2% growth and 2% inflation that central banks want. They're probably going to have to choose one or the other. And it's hard to know what they're going to choose and what other things may happen outside of their control, like you've seen this past year in terms of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so we would be diversified in terms of uh, our growth exposure, holding things that can hold up in a weaker growth environment. So while fixed income was a tough thing to hold last year, we think it's still critically important in client portfolios. And the yields are frankly a lot more attractive than they've been in a long time. Uh, we would also be very focused on inflation hedges, uh, things that can benefit in a higher inflation environment, which could be more challenging for traditional stocks and bonds as it was in the 70s. And then, of course, alternatives can be another way, a less correlated way to also take advantage of some of these unique aspects of the current environment. There are many managers that can anticipate some of these dynamics. Also, in the private market, there's quite a bit of inefficiency that managers can take advantage of. And we think those are also going to be critically important to realizing your objectives. Yeah, I, th I think it's a great point, Damien. Basically, the idea that managers who are not necessarily dependent on a particular interest rate environment or a particular economic growth environment to make money, they can make money in different kinds of environments, can offer really valuable diversification, especially today. Why don't we end it there? Damien, Michael, thank you. I look forward to our conversation next quarter. Thank you for listening to the Evoke 20-Minute Market Outlook podcast produced by Evoke Advisors. If you have questions, feel free to email us at info at evokeadvisors.com. And if you enjoy the discussion, please subscribe to this podcast to ensure you don't miss future episodes. And don't forget to forward today's conversation to others you think would also enjoy listening. This quarterly podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Evoke Advisors, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits. And listeners are reminded that securities trading, commodity trading, and alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors. Music